Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Or, oh say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed. Or, Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Up above the world so high. You kind of notice when somebody stops early, don't you? There's something left out. Well, here is Jesus at the very beginning of his public ministry. This is the first public speech that we ever hear him make in the Gospel of Luke. And it's a sort of coming out party, a kind of mission statement moment where Jesus announces who he is and what God is doing through him. Imagine a preacher today getting up, reading a scripture passage, and then saying, today this scripture is fulfilled and you're hearing. Pretty bold claim to make. And Jesus makes it. It's an electric moment as he says that he is the one that God is sending to bring good news to the poor and proclaim freedom to the captives in him today, in their hearing. And he starts by reading this passage from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61. Not that they use chapter numbers in those days, but that's how we'd mark it today. He finds the spot. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he stops. He rolls up the scroll, it says, and gives it back to the attendant and sits down. Almost a cinematic description. It takes longer to read than it does to happen, maybe. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Which is to say that he's done reading. He has read enough of this scripture passage, which is all very well, except that he stopped right in the middle of a phrase, which is something we might not notice unless we look at the Isaiah text or happen to know it by heart, which perhaps some of those in the congregation where he was that day may have. But the Isaiah passage says, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. He stops in the middle of a sentence. He's done. And he decides to leave out the vengeance part here in his mission statement sermon. Now, a lot of our sibling Christians who are of a more evangelical or fundamentalist persuasion like to say, you can't pick and choose scripture, which is true in a sense, because all scripture is inspired and important. And we don't just get to toss out what we don't like. 
without grappling with it and what the spirit might be saying to us through it. But on the other hand, it's also true that everyone emphasizes certain themes and certain passages from scripture at some times and focuses less on others. You can't help it if you're trying to live a faithful life guided by God's spirit today in your own place and time. Because scripture is a treasury full of different themes and different ideas and different images of God and what God is doing. And so which ones we choose to focus on and highlight at which times makes a difference. And as a prime example, here's Jesus choosing to stop right in the middle of a line to preach the heck out of the good news part and just kind of leave the vengeance part out. So while I don't want to overinterpret one line of scripture, I do think there's something significant here for us about what Jesus is saying today, about who he is and who God is. Because God is a God of justice. And sometimes we imagine that justice and vengeance are synonyms. We'll hear about someone being punished or executed and someone will say, well, justice has been done. But in Jesus, we have a God of justice who prefers to lean into mercy. We have a God who's quick to forgive. We have a God of grace. Imagine a God who genuinely loves you. Or maybe because we've all been told lots and lots of times that God loves us. Maybe it's more helpful to say, imagine a God who genuinely likes you. Imagine a God who thinks you're amazing, which is not to say perfect. Because this God knows exactly how imperfect you are, actually knows it better than you have any idea. All the parts of you that are not the fullness of who God created you to be, God knows them. And this God intends to bring you to complete wholeness and holiness in this life and the next. But just as you are right now, without changing a single thing, this God is crazy about you. This is the kind of God that Jesus introduces us to. The God of creation who burst everything into being out of joy. The God of Israel who goes to any length to love and save the chosen people. And the God of Jesus who goes to any length, even the cross itself, to coax us into a relationship of love. This is a God that is different, I think, than the God that many of us think we're supposed to believe in. A God who delights in punishing sinners. A God who sits in heaven wagging the divine finger and looking for excuses to smite. What if we have a God who likes leaving out the vengeance part? Well, that's how Jesus begins his ministry. 
and it's good news. Now, next week, we'll hear the continuation of this gospel passage, and we'll hear how his sermon goes over with the hometown congregation, which is to say that it starts out being received very positively and then gets less so. In fact, they try to throw him off a cliff by the end. And I think this may have something to do with the fact that a God who is crazy about us and quick to forgive us is great news and feels like great news. But it's not as easy to get excited about a God who is crazy about our enemies and quick to forgive them. That's harder. And it gets back to that difference between justice and vengeance. Last month, the world paid tribute to Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who died on the day after Christmas. And Bishop Tutu, in his book, No Future Without Forgiveness, writes about his experience sharing the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa just after the end of apartheid. This was essentially a war crimes tribunal but with a difference. It was a place where those who had been the victims of atrocities were invited to come and tell their stories, to make as full as possible an accounting of the truth, to tell the story of the violence that had been at the root of a vicious regime. And those who had been the perpetrators were given the chance to confess what they had done. And those who chose to participate in the process were offered amnesty. They were offered the chance to avoid being prosecuted for their crimes. And so in that room and on those TV cameras day after day for seven years, thousands of stories were told. Wails of agony were heard. Bishop Tutu more than once fell into tears while presiding as victims told stories of torture and murder and rape and disappearance of loved ones. In the cause of truth, of honesty, of not forgetting. And where perpetrators came and took the stand and told of what they had done. The choice to let them avoid prosecution was in a way a choice to preach the good news while leaving out the vengeance part. And it was not easy. And it was not an act of sentimentality or weakness. It was a choice made in full knowledge of what had been lost. But it was also a clear-eyed choice and frankly, a political choice to try to avoid bloodshed as a desperately troubled country made one of the most profound social transitions in history and did it peacefully. Justice demands truth-telling. Justice demands attention to those who have been wounded. 
and it demands amends and doing whatever is possible to heal. And it demands accountability. But justice doesn't always demand vengeance. Because vengeance is about where a wound has been done, making a new wound in return. Vengeance is about making the person suffer who has made us suffer. And vengeance is so profoundly human and such a profoundly deep desire. Vengeance is the cry in one of the Psalms of exile, where God's people have been taken into slavery by the Babylonians. And the psalmist cries out, Babylon, you destroyer, happy is the one who will pay you back for what has been done to us. Happy is the one who will take your little ones and dash them against the rocks. One of the most poignant and profound moments in all of the Psalms, and so human and so understandable. And it is so right that it is in our sacred scripture because the Psalms bring all of human experience before God. And in the end, Jesus calls us to a different way. A way that says no to harming the children of those who have harmed us, or even to wounding them equally back as we have been wounded. Jesus calls us to justice rather than vengeance. And justice is what Jesus is talking about in the rest of this passage when he talks about good news for the poor and freedom for those oppressed. Justice is good news for those who have been wounded. Justice can be bad news or can feel like bad news for those who have benefited. Here in this country, we still have not done anything like a full reckoning or truth-telling of the centuries of slavery and genocide that contributed to the establishment of society in this place. We are just beginning to tell stories and acknowledge with honesty the injustice that is so much at the root of the fabric of what we live with today. Justice is scary, especially for those of us who benefit from injustice. But in the end, justice is good news, even good news for the oppressors, because it's an invitation to become human again. It's an invitation to step out of the position of oppressor and into the position of a fellow child of God. It's a chance of a path to life in true community. And so the difference between vengeance and justice, it's kind of like the difference between a knife attack and a surgery. Both are sharp. Both cost something, both are painful. But one leads to death and the other leads to new life. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus says, to proclaim release to the captives and sight to the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. May this scripture 
keep being fulfilled in our hearing and in our lives.